It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for letting me be a part of your day. I do appreciate it. Uh, also appreciate patrons like Jonathan, Meredith, Dennis, Terrence and Teresa, Rebecca and Taylor, Yuri, Larry, David, Patty and Trudy. Uh, could not do the show without you guys. Thanks so much. They became patrons just by going to thepetecalendarshow.com. Uh, there is a link that's at the top there. It says exclusive content for patrons. You go there. And you can sign up via Patreon to support the show. You get access to the exclusive content like our live streams. And you get some swag. Because I wouldn't be a former radio guy if I'm not giving out swag. Right? All right. So uh, North Carolina moves a step closer to reopening all of its schools, at least to some degree. And uh, unless, of course, Governor Roy Cooper blocks it. Uh, plus, new research estimates that the lockdowns will kill more people than COVID-19. But first, if you got aches and pains that are killing you, have you considered CBD? I take CBD every night before I go to bed. I started taking these drops about half a year ago. And I got like, for example, the other night I forgot to take them. I don't know why. It's just some every now and again, I just forget to take them. They're right next to my bedside. I just laid down and uh, I forgot to take them. And I think it was because we were watching something on TV and then I just fell asleep. So, um... If you, But when I take these, I go to sleep and I fall asleep and I stay asleep. Uh, I sleep more deeply since I started taking the CBD uh, than I ever have before. My mind would always like take a long time to shut down and, uh, and then it would wake up throughout the night. So uh, that doesn't happen anymore. My brain is able to be turned off, which I know that's a shock. A lot of people think, Pete, your brain's been off for years. We're not really sure what you're talking about. Um, Growers Hemp, though, has a topical... Growers Hemp, that's the CBD oil that I take. And uh, Growers Hemp, these are North Carolina farmers, local farmers, family farmers. They control the whole process. They grow the crops. They manufacture it. So from seed all the way to shelf, it's theirs. Higher quality, lower price for you. And they have what's called the balm. It's a topical. It's a salve. You you use it on your skin for, you know, hips, uh, for hurts, for backs, for hands, for feet. Uh, and so you try the balm. And uh, you will agree it is the bomb. I mean, it's right there on the label. It's the bomb. So uh, also, there's a Valentine's Day special going on right now. They're running for uh, listeners of the program. You get one when you buy one. A buy one, get one. If you use the promo code LOVE, L-O-V-E, buy one, get one. This is all through the month of February. Uh, go to the website growershemp.com for all of the details. That's growershemp.com. And as with all CBD products, here is the official disclaimer. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The efficacy of these products has not been confirmed by FDA-approved research, and these products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And nothing I have said is meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from your healthcare provider. So consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. Uh, check out their ad in Our State Magazine and uh, find it on the shelves at the Broad River Hemp Company in Shelby, the Medical Pharmacy in Locust, and the Durham Co-op, and all the time, 24-7, at growershemp.com. Promo code LOVE for a Valentine's Day BOGO discount on the balm. Growers Hemp, it's about the hemp and not the hype. Joining me now is John Sanders. He is a senior fellow of regulatory studies and the research editor with the John Locke Foundation. And you can read his work at johnlock.org. Welcome back to the show. John, how are you? Pete, I'm great. Thanks for having me back on. Absolutely. So uh, you've got a new piece out titled New Research Warns. The death toll from lockdowns will far exceed that of COVID-19. Um, this has been something that uh, I have seen people predicting, suggesting, asking for almost a year now, right? That uh, they've been wondering, is the cost of the lockdown more than the lockdowns uh, themselves, right? The, the people that were ostensibly saving by locking everything down, is that a lower or higher number than the lockdowns are inducing? And it's a it's like you have to acknowledge, right? This is pretty difficult to, to try to suss out, I would suspect. 
Yes, it is. Um, be, but you have to understand the lockdowns take care of the people who otherwise would not have chosen to uh, to shelter themselves or to social distance or do any of the other things. Um, people who would voluntarily be taking steps to protect themselves and their family, they don't count. So if, if you're looking at it as an economist, then those are some of the those are the only ones that you pay attention to. Meanwhile, the lockdowns force everybody from being able to to go to certain businesses, to to um, frequent businesses more often, uh, to go to work, to so they bring real they block people from making certain choices that they otherwise would for good or ill. So uh, let me ask you, you said the, the first population you mentioned, you said they don't count. What did you who, who is that population? Is this like the vulnerable, the elderly, like people who are worried about catching COVID and dying like they 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 would not participate in a lot of economic uh, economic activity? Is that the point? Right. If, if you were going to stay away from from restaurants or stay away from grocery stores or if you were going to voluntarily adopt voluntarily adopt um restrictions on yourself then it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. Um, when you say it doesn't matter your behavior hasn't been changed by what the governor has done gotcha um only those who are involuntarily made to to you know not be able to open their bar not being able to open a gym not be able to have theater goers at their movie theater those sorts of decisions or not being able to stay open past nine o'clock. Right. So those, those are the ones who are affected. So you're, you're trying to differentiate here between two different populations, those that that were going to make these decisions already and didn't need a lockdown order per se to choose to do that. And then you've got another right. group of people that if in essence needed a lockdown order uh, in order to do these things. So when you start looking into this research, though, this I guess it gets to this point I was asking about, like, this is a pretty difficult thing to measure, I would suspect. And so I'm like and I, I raise that as a as sort of a, a I don't want to say a caveat, but something to keep in mind as we're going over this research that like a lot of this when I was reading through your piece, I wondered, is this kind of like the mask studies is this kind of like the the ihm predictive models about how many people are going to catch it and die right like how much of this is just i don't know <laughs> just uh, no and your your wizardry. instincts are right on okay, that though. okay your, your instincts are correct in in wondering how much has been how much are we assuming is because of of the government order and how much is has already been captured and therefore not not influenced like the mask studies like the mask wearing where you know there are studies to say you know voluntary adoption is probably in the 90th percentile Mm -hmm. somewhere in the 90th percents um so government orders are are really not affecting it all that much although people may make different decisions as far as you know where they where they would wear a mask you know they might not worry about it when they're around family or or uh, but but when they are maybe out especially if they're in public transportation or where they're going to be in in tight areas around people that might make them make different decisions mm-hmm. so let me start here where you started actually at the beginning which was a sort of a a timeline a chronology because if you if you kind of tuned out from the news cycle for about two weeks, <laughs> you might you might be forgiven for uh, not really recognizing the North Carolina governor for what he's been saying recently, um, because I'm old enough to remember when Governor Cooper uh, was telling everybody, like, you know, stay home and uh, wear the masks and social distance and everything is like you, you got virus everywhere. The spread is all over the place and everyone's going to die. Don't celebrate Christmas, like all of these warnings. And I think now he's um, he's and Mandy Cohen, the uh, Health and Human Services Secretary. I think that they are now kind of trapped by their own salesmanship. They 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 did such a good job convincing 
I think a lot of people that like them, people on the left, I think they did such a good job convincing folks of this, uh, of this fear that now they've got to try to walk them off the ledge somehow. <laughs> and I'm not sure it's working very well, considering some of the backlash I'm seeing, particularly from the teachers union. But uh, you started off with this timeline. So Friday, January 29th, um, you got Republicans that, that now they're in session. The long session is underway. They filed a bill to to reopen and now it's passed the Senate right to uh to to force districts to offer in-person instruction. Then you got parents that are outside protesting at the governor's mansion. You noted that that made national news. Uh you got the statewide poll that came out. Civitas put it out that uh shows this is not a popular position to keep the schools closed anymore. Uh a perfect storm, you might say, was brewing for the governor, who then, of course, comes out and says, OK, you know what? I'm going to urge school districts to reopen. He did not mandate this. Did you do you read anything in particular into the fact that he's urging school districts and not mandating school districts to open? Yeah, I I do. I suspect that it means that he knows he's got to make some noise about reopening. But he doesn't want to force it because he also knows that that would really tick off his pals in the teachers union. So he, he's having to walk a tight tightrope. Mm -hmm. You say that Cooper attributed his sudden change of heart to new research. Do you believe him? Um, I don't believe him. I don't believe him in that that's the, the rationale. I think that it is because of the politics of it. Um, this perfect storm, as you called it, um, over the weekend, heading into uh, this this past week, uh, the politics really swung on him, and he needed to he needed to come out and do something about it to take the pressure off himself. Mm -hmm. So he he announces, okay, school districts, you can reopen, uh, and I urge you to do so, and it's okay now. We have new research that shows this is safe for the kids. Um, right. And the new research was saying exactly what the old research was saying. Right. Research that went back to the very beginning of research into COVID, which is that children, school children are not super spreaders and that governments worldwide need to get the kids back into in-person learning as soon as possible. I feel like we've discussed this before. <laughs> I feel like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, and you cited this research goes back to May 5th. 2020 and like yeah like we're approaching this like nine months we have known this this and i remember it's actually it it, it was a it left a uh, an impression on me was that i had a listener for a, for years he listened to the show and it was over this issue over the schools and whether or not kids could go back to school and schools could reopen safely and i was citing research from back then and he got so angry with me, you know, uh, you know, quit subscribing to the podcast, attacked me and, you know, ripped up my bumper stickers and stuff like was really, really mad at me and said I went full Trumper or something like I was <laughs> I, I don't even know the connection there. But uh, like he was really, really angry with me for suggesting that the science was saying that the research was saying that, thank goodness, it's not really spreading among kids. Um, and so you cite this. What was this? Uh, Monroe, Monroe and faust right this was the this was one of the earliest studies on this yes and, you know and the study was completed in late april it wasn't published until may 5th that's how i mean that's how early it was right but it wasn't it wasn't unique in any way other than being one of the first the subsequent research and findings everywhere including north carolina have backed this up right because i remember hearing stories out of uh, it was a Scandinavian countries, I want to say. Uh, some European countries never closed their schools down. So there was evidence of this, and there has been evidence of this for months. But the new research that Governor Cooper is citing, this is North Carolina-specific, right? So this is, is it the, with the ABC Science Collaborative, right? That's the research that he's citing. So have you looked at any of that research, and what do you think of that? Um, no, I didn't look into it, uh, mostly because I, I don't follow the school issue as much. But again, it wasn't remarkable in any way. Right. It was saying what everybody else was saying. 
So you say the schools worldwide, including North Carolina, could reopen safely uh, without witnessing a surge in cases becoming viral hotspots. This was uh, obvious last fall as well. Uh, This also ties into the concept of seasonality. And I know you're not an epidemiologist, but um, I almost wonder if if leaders knew that seasonality was coming, right, because they did. They, I mean, not if they did know this because they. Cooper and Cohen talked about it. Like, we've got flu season coming. We expect there to be a rise in the case numbers and such. So, you know, you know, more masks, you know, mask harder. They, you know, they kept, you know, three W's, three W's. They kept saying it. And the case counts go up. Hospitalizations go up. Right. We, we see all of these metrics go up. If they knew the cases were going to go up, they keep the schools closed because they say, you know, we don't want there to be spread. But if we knew there was limited risk in the schools, then is it possible that they say, you know what, let's keep the schools closed, numbers go up, then when the numbers come down, you avoid uh, sort of the outrage having, if you had opened the schools and the numbers went up. You see what I mean? If they had opened schools and the numbers go up because of seasonality, then they could be attacked right around an election, right? They could be attacked (laughs) for opening schools and, you know, putting people at risk and trying to kill all of the kids and teachers and such. And now you're on the back end of the seasonality curve. And so now it's politically expedient to open it up and you, the damage is less. Uh, you don't have to comment on that. Like that's just my impression of what's right, going on. Right. But um, I don't know. I find it. Yeah. I, I find it. But what you're saying is, is political, political considerations were, were, were reigning over, over scientific considerations. Right. Yeah. And that's the disturbing part to me. And so uh, this North Carolina study of the the research on the schools is important only in the context of what we're getting ready to discuss here on the death toll from the lockdowns, because maybe it has to be North Carolina based research for the governor (laughs) to to appreciate its findings. Yeah, If this is a new standard, (laughs) if he's finally come up with a standard and this isn't an ad hoc justification for something that he didn't really want to do. But he didn't want to say I'm being forced um, by political considerations. So if new research with a North Carolina focus is his new standard, then have I got a study for you? (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So this one uh, is from uh, what, Duke University? Uh, Yeah, professor at Duke University, professor at Johns Hopkins and and a uh, uh, clinical physician out of Harvard Medical School. Well, now that's only 30% from North Carolina, John. I'm not sure it's going to be enough for this new standard. Uh, So uh, tell us, what is the study and what does it look at? Well, the study does a a good job of of asking about uh, the effects of the economic um, impact from from the coronavirus, including especially lockdowns and other government containment measures that have the effect of harming the economy. And, and causing unemployment and disemployment of individuals. And it takes those, um, it takes those numbers um, and compares it along with well-known impacts on, on people's lives from being unemployed and, and looks at it from the long-term aspect. Even a lot of the research into lockdowns and the unintended negative consequences of them have have only looked at the short-term causes. Uh, This looks at it from the long-term. And what it finds basically is that over the next 15 to 20 years, the the excess deaths caused by this economic, negative economic impact from lockdowns and other government interventions is going to be much worse than from the pandemic um, to the tune of 809 890,000 to 1.37 million deaths over uh, the next 15 to 20 years. So are these deaths that otherwise would not have occurred in that time frame? Yes, these are deaths that are basically caused by the impact of being out of work and and all the negative stress and other negative impacts on people's lives from being out of work, um, causing their lives to be shortened. All right. More with John Sanders in a minute. First, speaking of health, 
uh, getting a good night's sleep is critical to your health, not just, you know, good uh, frame of mind and uh, mental health, but also physical health. So if you are still sleeping on an old, worn out, nasty mattress, get on over to Mattress Man. What are you waiting for? Uh, not only that, you know, help yourself, but you also, you know, help support the business that uh, helps support this show. So go to Mattress Man, mattressmanstores.com. All this month, they've got the triple zero financing deal. They will work with you no matter your credit because getting a good night's sleep is too important to let past credit problems get in the way of better health. Um, and so you can take advantage of the President's Day sale, pick up a free box spring with the purchase of a Biltmore mattress. These are the mattresses that are in the hotel and the inn that are on the grounds of the Biltmore estate. And uh, so do I need to say this? But I guess I do. Maybe the like luxurious. Okay. These are really great mattresses, and they're made right here in North Carolina by Restonic in the Fayetteville plant. And you're not going to find the Biltmore collection anywhere other than Mattress Man. Okay, so if you want to score a Biltmore mattress and pick up a free box spring with the purchase, this is your chance. Also, Mattress Man has free adjustable bases with the purchase of select mattresses. And as I mentioned, the triple zero financing deal, zero down, zero APR for 24 months, so no interest for two years, and zero payments for 90 days. Go to Mattress Man. This is where Christy and I went to get our bed years ago. We love it, um, and you're going to love your bed, too. And if you don't, they have a 120-day comfort guarantee. Five-star local delivery service. They do ship nationwide. Let Mattress Man help you pick the right bed so you get a good night's sleep. Experience the difference at Mattress Man. Buy local and sleep better. My guest is John Sanders. He's a senior fellow of regulatory studies and research editor with the John Locke Foundation. We're talking about his piece called New Research Warns That the Death Toll from Lockdowns Will Far Exceed That of COVID-19. So this uh, this research appears in the National Bureau of Economic Research uh, working paper. It was actually published, you say, in December. So this yes. isn't new. <laughs> right? I mean, it's not like it just broke. I mean, it is kind of new, but it's it's over a month old. Um, you would I, I, I don't know. Is is the administration aware of this, um, that these uh, the economic impact? And so when people are looking at the economic impact of lockdowns over the long term, and you mentioned previous research done into the negative impacts of unemployment. And the one that makes sense to me most is, you know, when people don't have a job, they're more likely to be in poverty. And one of the leading indicators of a shortened lifespan is being in poverty, right? If you're poor, you don't have the access to health care that you would otherwise have if you have a job and you have money, right? It, like, to me, that right, makes sense. Right. And that's essentially what this is getting at. Um, yeah, they're getting at that. They are also. Um, I think what's what's important is that these guys are not saying, you know, don't do any lockdowns or you know, whatever. But they are warning and they're warning policymakers that they should take into consideration their findings. The severe long. I'm quoting now. Um, policymakers should take into consideration the severe long-run implications of such a large economic recession on people's lives. When deliberating on COVID-19 recovery and containment measures, without any doubt, lockdowns save lives, but they also contribute to the decline in real activity that can have severe consequences on health. And so in, in doing what economists do, which is look at the costs and benefits, look at the trade-offs, uh, they are suggesting that the trade-offs are worse than than what has been done. Mm -hmm. And this is why... I've been saying for months, it's not an argument of lives versus money. It's an argument of lives versus lives. It's it's a short term, long term play. Right. And so, of course, politicians are going to opt for the short term play because that's where their benefit is. That Yes. They derive more benefit in looking at the short term than they do in the long term. Uh, case in point, the deficit, right? Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's actually like the clinical case in point. Right? <laughs> it's something you see in economic textbooks when you want to talk about, especially a public choice and, and politicians. I mean, yeah, it's so much easier to, to just charge everything on people who aren't who aren't live yet and can't vote for you one way or the other. Right. And so what's what I found Pretty troubling as well, considering I just got finished watching a uh, press briefing on the COVID. 
where the governor and the health secretary mentioned the word equity probably about a billion times. I think they're focused on equity. I'm not sure. But, uh, you know, this this hyper racialized uh, view of of all things covid related now and I guess all things in our society, it seems like. Um, But this is actually pretty nasty for African-Americans. These lockdowns have been pretty bad for them. It is. In fact, what they do find is is that the impact of the lockdowns and the excess deaths from from uh, this, uh, the changes in mortality rates and life expectancy because of lockdowns and the other government interventions um, is disproportionately affecting African-Americans. What of um, other groups? Um, I, I guess it's just blacks, whites. Um, and I'm not sure I saw they do Hispanics. mention that. Okay. Um, they do mention that it it's uh, it also negatively impacts uh, women more. Mm. Um, whites, the impact is kind of later, but then it's it's greater over the extreme long term. Like the 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 negative implications on uh, mortality rates for African Americans and women seem to hit earlier. Hmm. But um, from their findings, the the impacts against whites seem to seem to be delayed and when but they then hit they're the, very real yeah. right and then they're way worse so I'm, lo- I'm looking at the the poll quote you have here it says um for african-americans we estimate 180,000 uh, yeah 180,000 and 270,000 excess deaths over the next 15 to 20 years respectively uh for white we estimate 0.82 so that's 820,000 and 1.21 million excess deaths over the next 15 to 20 years respectively uh the consequences of that pandemic of the pandemic might go well beyond the deaths directly caused by the disease um and i've got to believe just like we were talking about with the schools this is not new research either right i mean this paper was published in december but this idea is not new because I'm not that smart, I don't think. And I was aware that this was a real possibility nine months ago. Right. Yeah. The idea itself is not new. And the idea that uh, that unemployment severely, you know, negatively impacts uh, mortality is, is well known. Um, I think what is fairly new for this paper is that it puts it in the context of the long term as opposed to more immediate or short term, you know, the next year or two. Um, And these guys are just talking about uh, unemployment and, and not talking about the impact of withheld medical treatment or people that are afraid to go to the doctor Mm. or that, um, or that hospitals have canceled, have canceled um, medical treatments um, or or things like mental health problems or substance abuse or stress-related disorders, that sort of thing. So it, it's mostly on the, the well-known economic effects of, of uh, unemployment. So this is just one criteria, one data point that they looked yes. at the unemployment, not any of those. Yeah, other. and they acknowledge that we may oh actually God. be undercounting. Well, they definitely are undercounting. <laughs> they haven't, <laughs> right? Yeah, if they're if they're not even looking at mental health, that's that's going to be huge. Um, the mental health component, uh, the stress uh, in you know stress induced you know heart attacks and stuff. Um, the 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 alcoholism. I, how many people do I know that say they they're drinking more now <laughs> than they ever have before in their life? And I'm not talking about me. I had to I stopped drinking months ago because I was like I think I'm drinking too much, so I stopped. Um, so like I, 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 I this is it's I'm really worried. I think this is going to be really bad. So is there any way that we can track this? Uh, I know this was a Duke University professor, but is there any way we can track this for North Carolina? Well, that's something else that I've been been wondering about and i've done some research into this the uh, cdc has something they call um excess deaths tracker uh where they look at weekly and they have a way of estimating um based on the the last few years worth of data um and and you know weekly variances uh, about where normal deaths would be in a week um, in a society, in a state, or in or in the United States, and then they compare actual numbers, 
And if they're within the statistical um, uh, margin of error, then nothing's, you know, nothing unique is considered to have happened. Mm -hmm. If, however, they go above the, the um, one in 20 threshold, um, they, you know, if it, it goes a significant amount above, then they consider that an excess death event has happened. So naturally, what you've seen in the last, uh, really the last year is many, many weeks of excess deaths because of COVID. Mm -hmm. um, and what I decided to do was to question this um, by what we have. I mean, we know the deaths that are attributed to COVID. So subtract that out, compare that to what we have reported to the CDC and see if we're still above that statistical threshold that says we've had excess deaths. And I found when I did this, which was back in November. Yeah, I remember um, we talked that, about this, I want to yeah. say. This sounds familiar, yeah. Right. Well, so I found when I did this that there were a few weeks where we had. The problem was the data that we had from North Carolina was very limited. North Carolina is extremely late in publishing these data, um, which means that if there are excess deaths happening because of government lockdowns, in addition to COVID deaths, we don't know. We don't have a way of finding it. And I really would love to update those data, but as it turns out, North Carolina is even further behind. Back then it was in August. Um, right now, most of the United States, if not all, is reporting through January 23rd. Hmm. I just checked. I, I checked that right before you called me. Um, North Carolina, the most recent data is incomplete, and it's through October 3rd. That's how far behind we are. That that precedes several of Governor Cooper's extensions of his restrictions, and worse, his additions of curfew and some of his greater restrictions since December. And he continues to do this, and we don't know if it's actually causing worse harm. I would love to be able to do that. But uh, there's no way, given the data that we have, which is so limited. Right. It, it seems like if you need to know whether the actions you're taking are saving lives, then you need a count as to whether or not these actions are saving or costing lives. And you need that count to be pretty recent rather than five months ago. Is that what we October? We're, we're at three and a half months. Oh. We're three and a half months behind everybody else. And I'm assuming that nobody is telling you why that is. <laughs> have, you, have you tried to get through on the uh, on the press line for one of his press conferences? <laughs> well, they they want to blame it on the fact that we have manual entry of data, whereas most of most of the states are don't. But the problem being there is there's a couple of other states that have manual entry of data, and they don't seem to have a problem. Hmm. Uh, so. Well, why not you know, get? Yeah, why not move off of the manual data then? I, I think they said that they're trying to do this, right? It, but it's they're just very slow at doing it. I guess I don't know. Um, it, it seems like it's it seems like that's a pretty important data point to be collecting. It, it seems like it should be prioritized, in my view. I, I would think so. At least you know, from from my perspective on what it could be telling state officials, which could be telling the governor, yeah, you think you might be doing a good job. And you think you might be saving people's lives, but it, in all possibility, you may be contributing to a problem that you're not even aware of. Well, maybe he doesn't want to know the answer. I said that. You don't have to comment. I said that. <laughs> <laughs> That's, you know, if you don't know the data, then, you know, hey, ignorance is bliss, I guess. John Sanders, Senior Fellow of Regulatory Studies and Research Editor at the John Locke Foundation. You can read his work at johnlocke.org. John, thanks so much for your time. Always a pleasure. Pete, thanks so much again. Same. Now, it is pretty amazing how so many school districts are now finding the courage to uh, to experiment with some reopening efforts now that the governor is urging them to do so. It's almost like uh, they needed him to take some of the heat off of the school boards uh, that they were getting from the teachers unions. Um, so we'll get into a little bit more of that in a minute. Uh, first, if you are an educator and you're looking to buy or sell a house, uh, then you can keep 25% of the realtor commissions. Did you know that? It's the Homes for Heroes program. Uh, and in the Asheville area, 
Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team, they're the official Homes for Heroes real estate agent. So uh, if you want to keep more of your own money, then you got to use Rowena when you're buying or selling a home. This program is also open to uh, police officers, firefighters, healthcare professionals, and members of the military. So veterans, active duty, and retirees. So give her a call at 333-4483. That's 333-4483. Or go to her website, mountainhomehunt.com, and start packing. So the Asheville City Schools, they are going to return to in-person learning on a Plan B format. Uh, this is going to be started up in mm, next month, mid-March. So, I mean, we don't want to rush these things, right? Mid-March. So like a full year, these kids have been out of school in the Asheville City District. Uh, they put out a press release uh, promising more details uh, in a couple days, so like three or four days from now. Uh, the move is planned for on or around Wednesday, March 17th. The Asheville City Schools decision comes on the heels of Buncombe County Board of Education uh, doing a vote uh, last week to implement Plan B starting February 15th. Again, it's amazing how many districts have all started moving to some form of in-person instruction only after Governor Cooper urged them to do so, which is odd because the CDC director said, yeah, you could totally return to in-person instruction and not risk kids' health and safety. They're, it's not being spread, especially among the younger kids. It's not happening. And schools, when they can open safely, they should do so. And the state of North Carolina has a bill that's got a ton of money in it for schools to do that. So here was actually the CDC director, uh, Dr. Rochelle Walensky, at a hearing a couple of uh, a couple of days ago. Um, but I also want to be clear that there is increasing uh, data to suggest that schools can safely reopen and that that safe reopening does not um, uh, suggest that teachers need to be vaccinated in order to reopen safely. So while we are implementing um, the criteria of the advisory committee and of the state and local um, guidances to get uh, vaccination across these eligible uh, communities. I would also say that um, safe reopening of schools is not, um, that vaccination of teachers is not a prerequisite for safe reopening of schools. Interesting. So getting all of the teachers vaccinated is not a prerequisite for opening schools safely. Now, I find this interesting because it's a perfect example of it. Some uh, leftist kid, he worked at the General Assembly because, of course, he did. Um, he's all in on the you know teachers union. And uh, he puts out some tweet uh, that said something about how the Wake County teachers are going to have to eat their lunches in their cars, that it's recommended they don't eat in the cafeteria. So he says, how could this be safe? So, well, you're eating in a cafeteria and when you eat you take your mask off so it's a mitigation effort right no one is saying covid is gone kid covid is still around so you take steps to minimize your exposure and so if you are very worried about catching covid then maybe take your lunch in the car maybe take your lunch outside maybe eat someplace else right just like if you're very worried about catching covid you probably shouldn't go out to eat at restaurants right like this idea that somehow or another everybody has to live by the most draconian level of restriction that someone deems is safe for them i don't understand this this tyrannical mindset where that comes from this idea that i don't feel safe at a restaurant so therefore i'm going to close all restaurants well, why don't you just let people who feel safe going to that restaurant go to that restaurant? There's something about this mindset, and I don't know what it is, but I thought this was interesting uh, to take it back to the CDC director. She's saying teachers don't need to get vaccinated in order for schools to open safely. And this is flying in the face of what the teachers unions are saying. They're demanding that they get pushed ahead in the line right, to cut all of the, the old people and the healthcare workers. They should be put at the front of the line if you want schools open. I think that's the play here. They don't really expect to be pushed to the front of the line. They're saying that because they know they're not going to get pushed to the front of the line. So they're saying it in order to keep the schools operating as they are. These bigger districts are still completely remote. And 
apparently there's a lot of teachers, union representatives and members that they don't want to go back to in-person instruction. And as I mentioned on the episode yesterday, they are using the fears of re-entry, the fears of reopening, right? The anxiety around this, they're using that as leverage in order to build their email distribution lists so they're going to try to they're going to try to uh, play on people's fears teachers fears and get them to sign up for updates from the ncae because they're the only ones looking out for you that's what this is about and the kids are the pawns and and it's kind of sick really but that's what's happening so jen pisaki who was the white house press secretary was asked about the cdc director's comments and listen to this um the cdc director is saying that the vaccination of teachers is not a prerequisite for safe reopening of schools does the white house agree with this and should states be prioritizing teachers over other essential workers in the vaccine line well, uh, I saw the comments of um, Dr. Walensky, uh, but I will say that even she would say, if she were standing here, she's welcome to come anytime, but she's in Atlanta, uh, that they have not released um, their official guidance yet from the CDC on the vaccination of teachers and what would be needed to uh, ensure the safe reopening of schools. And so we'd certainly um, defer to that, uh, which we hope to see soon. Uh, the president himself has talked about the importance and the priority of vaccinating teachers and uh, in most states they're in the 1b category of vaccination um and but it is up to states to determine uh, prioritization obviously there's federal guidelines but and we work closely with governors but we leave it to them but certainly ensuring teachers are vaccinated prioritizing teachers uh is uh, is important to the president (laughs) what did that what did she actually say there well not really much of anything okay not really much of anything uh but she is then asked a follow-up i think this was at the next day's press briefing i i believe i was trying to figure out by based on the the uh the shirt that pisaki was wearing but it looked very similar so i really couldn't tell if the lighting was off i'm going down a rabbit hole here i don't mean to but she was asked about this again and here's what she says you said that the White House was still waiting to waiting for the official guidance before making a final determination. Why isn't what the director of the CDC says, why isn't that enough? Yeah. Well, first, the, the director of the CDC also has said they haven't issued their final guidance. And we, of course, wait for that process to complete and see its way through, as she would say as well. I believe she did an interview last night where she spoke to this uh, issue again. The president, uh, let me be crystal clear, wants schools to open. He mm-hmm. wants them to stay open. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is and he wants to do that safely. Mm-hmm. And he wants health and medical experts to be the guides for uh, how we should do exactly that. So okay. we're just not she uh, the, the uh, Dr. Walensky um, spoke to this uh, in her personal capacity. Obviously, well, she's the head of the CDC, but what? we're going to wait for the final guidance to come out so we can use that as a guide for schools <laughs> around the country. Wait, 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 wait. She's the CDC director. She was at a hearing giving her testimony as the CDC director. But you're telling me that this was just her in her personal capacity. By the way, this was the same line used by the Trump administration when Secretary of State Mike Pompeo would make comments that were uh, deemed to be uh, like in conflict with what the Trump administration uh, was like, uh, their official position on something. Uh, So Pompeo got ripped by the media for it. But no, 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 it's fine. The CDC director is saying, no, teachers don't need to be vaccinated for schools to open safely. Oh, that's just her personal capacity. She's the CDC director. You put her in charge. Did anybody ask her this beforehand? That's kind of amazing. Also amazing, general equipment rental, for real, in Weaverville. General equipment rental. Spring is coming, so start thinking about the tools that you need around your yard, around your house. But if you need a tool just for one project, let's say uh, you want to put in a garden bed. Christy and I are talking about this, actually, when we get our house. We want to put in a, a, a garden. And uh, when we do that, we're probably going to have to till, and I don't know, probably about it. I'm going to have to till the ground, right? I'm going to have to dig it all up, which means I need a tiller. I'm not going to buy a tiller. I just need it once. So I'm going to go to General Equipment Rental, and I'm going to get it. And then I'm going to rent it, and I'm going to take it home, and I'm going to use it, and I'm going to know how to use it because they're going to tell me how to use it because this is what they do. They know these tools, and they're going to show me how it works, and then I'm going to till, and then I'm going to bring it back, and I'm going to be happy. I'm going to have a garden, and I'll keep you posted on how it goes. Um, I'm also going to pick up my tools from them when I resupply because I had to sell all of my old yard equipment when I sold my house years ago, so now I get to uh, to go on a buying spree. <laughs> 
<laughs> which is going to redound to their benefit, of course. But General Equipment Rental is where I is where I'm going to go. You should as well. General Equipment Rental, GeneralRents.com. They're in Weaverville at the intersection of Merriman Avenue and Reams Creek Road. Family owned and operated for three generations. GeneralRents.com. General Equipment Rental. Think outside your toolbox. So I think it's interesting also that you've got the CDC director saying you can open schools safely without teachers being vaccinated first. And the White House's response is to basically cut her off at the knees, right? It's to say, uh, well, that's just her personal uh, comments. That's her personal opinion. That would have been undermining the science if it were Trump, right? If Donald Trump or his press secretary were to have disagreed with something that Fauci said or Dr. Burke said or uh, the CDC director Redfield said, like anything that these health experts say that that somehow was objected to or opposed or there's disagreement from anybody else in the administration, this was a sign of the anti-science mentality that was killing people with COVID. But with Biden, it's totally fine. (laughs) It's totally fine. Um, And then, by the way, at a subsequent briefing, after these comments, she said that Biden wants to have over 50 percent of schools opened uh, by the day 100 of his presidency. So she wants a majority. He wants a majority of schools open. So that's 50 percent plus one by the day 100. You know when that is? April 30th. Are you kidding me? April 30th. And what they say is they want more than half of the schools open with some teaching in classrooms. And she defined that as at least one day a week. So by April 30th, their plan is by April 30th to have half of the schools, at least half of the schools teaching one day in person a week. It's just nuts. Just nuts. Um, Governor Cooper was not asked about any of this, by the way, at his most recent press briefing. No, he was not, uh, nor was Secretary Cohen. They were not asked. We got all sorts of questions, repeated questions about, you know, pushing teachers to the front of the vaccine line. Like, why can't they go first? Why can't they go first? And Cooper and Cohen keep saying, you know, well, we want to reopen schools. That's our top priority is reopening schools. Now it is. You know, they, they've been paying lip service to it all this time, but they were the ones that also did not force in person to be offered as an option. Um, I think it's like uh, John Sanders said, I mean, I think the politics really drove that decision. So we got a lot of those questions. We had questions about uh, line cutters, people from Virginia crossing the border and taking our vaccines. Um, Also, why don't we have more vaccines in fill in the blank county? That's a popular question always because you get these reporters from various counties and they're like, well, I want to know my county. We only had X amount. How come? It's like, well, we have a supply that's limited and it's the same answers over and over and over again. He was not asked about a story that WBTV did down in Charlotte about the HOPE grant program that was touted at the previous press briefing by the governor where the state budget director, Charlie Perus touted the hope grant program as a success this was as he remember he unveiled the budget proposal for uh the current year which uh, was hilarious because they don't even know what the revenue projections are (laughs) so they're they're producing (laughs) yeah they 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 proposed a budget spending plan and they don't know how much revenue is coming in yet but they'll have those figures soon um the hope grant program that they were touting is supposed to pay rent and utility bills for people who are financially impacted by the pandemic. And they've gotten like $200 million in requests. And they've got uh, they've gotten out about $125 million of that, according to Charlie Perus at the press conference. But the program has actually spent less than half of that amount. The North Carolina Office of Recovery and Resiliency said that it had cut checks for $42 million out of the $160 million allocated for the HOPE program. A spokeswoman for uh, the North Carolina Office of uh, Revenue and uh, Recovery and Resilience, rather, uh, could not provide a specific explanation for why. <laughs> That's some bang-up work. They didn't, Cooper didn't get asked that question. No, no, he doesn't get asked that question. Um, by the way, did you see the, the piece about him in the Atlantic 
magazine. I'm not going to have time. I don't. Yeah, I'm not going to have time to get to it today. I'll cover it tomorrow. The the the. Uh, oh my goodness! This big story. The 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 headline was: What does this man know that other Democrats don't? Governor Roy Cooper's winning streak in North Carolina uh, may be hard for purple or red state leaders to replicate. <laughs> so it's like Roy Cooper keeps winning. How does he do it? If we could crack the code, we can get more Democrats elected. So uh, I'm not going to have time to get into all of the specifics on that today. We'll do it tomorrow. Um, by the way, this is something you should do today or tomorrow or uh, one day soon. Go to Old Grouch's Military Surplus, especially if you got kids that are now going to be going back to school. Um, pick up some cold weather gear, but also the backpacks. He's got military-grade backpacks, and these things are durable okay if you find yourself buying like two or three backpacks every school year because like your kid is apparently lugging cinder blocks to class um then go to old grouch's military surplus and pick up one of these backpacks uh you're going to get them actually for uh, less money than you're going to find at big box stores as well uh he's got cold weather clothing jackets hats etc because you know it's it's been cold so pick up some cold weather gear especially if you spend a lot of time outdoors he's also got a new ship of MREs, Meals Ready to Eat. They just came in. These are special packs. They've got 14 meals in them instead of the typical 12. Uh, these were specially made for a government disaster relief agency, and it's designed to be a week's worth of food at two meals a day with enough calories. So each case is a week's worth of food for one person. So this is perfect for emergencies or just for camping and hiking. So head on over to Old Grouch's Military Surplus, downtown Clyde on Main Street. Shop is open Monday through Saturday across the street from the anti-aircraft gun and, of course, 24-7 at oldgrouch.com. Com. Finally, I thought this was an interesting story. R.C. Souls Jr. And if you've been paying attention to North Carolina politics, um, recent, well, before recently, I guess, uh, for any amount of time longer than about five years, you know this name. R.C. Souls, Robert Charles Souls Jr., a former North Carolina lawmaker, served in the General Assembly for more than four decades. And he died uh, the other day. He was 86 years old. Uh, he was out of Tabor City. He served in the House and Senate for 42 years, and uh, he was an attorney. He was first elected to uh, District 13 in the House in 1968, and after redistricting, according to FoxCarolina.com, uh, he represented the 19th District. He left the House in 1977, uh, went over to the State Senate. At the time of his retirement in 2011, he was the longest-serving state legislator in North Carolina history. Uh, this despite the fact that he was investigated in 1983 for bribery that led to four indictments against him. A judge dismissed charges of conspiracy, vote buying and perjury. But then after a trial, the jury acquitted Souls on the fourth charge of aiding and abetting payoffs for local political influence. And in 2009, this one might be a little bit more familiar for folks recently moved to the area. He, uh, he was arrested for shooting a former client in the leg. He announced he would not seek a 22nd a term after this occurred. Uh, he pled guilty to assault with a deadly weapon, and he paid a $1,000 fine. Not mentioned anywhere in the story. Democrat. <laughs> Not mentioned anywhere, I'm sure. Just an oversight. That is a wrap for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. I do appreciate it. Remember, head on over to thepetecalendarshow.com. Click the subscribe button. Get the uh, podcast delivered to your smartphone or tablet every single day for free. Also, think about becoming a patron. Thanks so much. Talk with you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone. 